4: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, July 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi reports more than 1,800 new COVID-19 cases. Then Lieutenant Governor Dubbert Hoseman addresses the Neshoba County Fair, plus the Gulf Coast power grid braces for hurricanes, and a conversation with writer Steve Robertson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The state recorded 1,875 COVID-19 cases on Tuesday, According to the Department of Health, six Mississippians died of the disease that day. We expect updated numbers later this morning. The Centers for Disease Control have issued new mask guidance for Americans. The agency now says that everyone, both vaccinated and unvaccinated, should wear a mask in crowded indoor settings. At a press conference yesterday, Dr. Paul Byers of the Mississippi Department of Health lays out why his team believes the recommendation is necessary.
5: We have seen Um, breakthrough vaccination cases where individuals who are fully vaccinated may be infected, hospitalized, or in some circumstances we've had deaths in those individuals as well. So with this highly transmissible Delta variant that we have that is circulating and causing an estimated more than 93% of the cases that we're seeing in Mississippi right now based on our, our surveillance data, we are aligning with CDC to update some public health guidance to prevent the transmission and control the spread of COVID-19 in Mississippi.
4: Early data indicates that the Delta variant of COVID-19 spreads more easily in children than other strains. A 16-year-old in Mississippi died of the disease earlier this week. Nonetheless, the state is hurtling towards school reopenings later this month, and Governor Reeves says he has no plans to mandate masks in schools. Here's Byers again
5: even if it's not required by your school district, I would certainly um, use a mask for your children who are not eligible for vaccination. I think that that's going to be the best protection available at that point. And we certainly would encourage, and we continue to encourage the schools to follow those recommendations that all eligible individuals should be fully vaccinated and that there should be with our upcoming Newest guidance, a recommendation for masking in all indoor uh, settings. But I have to tell y'all that I think as as we head back to school, we need to have an expectation that we are going to see cases in the school setting.
4: Over the past few weeks, hospitals have scrambled to brace for a swell of COVID-related admissions. Administrators say they're motivated to keep the medical system in better shape than in January when a COVID wave pushed capacity to a breaking point. But challenges, especially related to staffing, have endured. Jim Craig of the Department of Health now says the situation is serious.
5: Right now, uh, the snapshot yesterday reports that 28 of our hospitals have no ICU capability. This is as bad as what we saw in January and uh, alarming that we are having the bed patients that are normally in an ICU, uh, in an emergency room again. We saw that during the the wave in January and it was was very stressful to the hospitals. Those same nurses that we're talking about that are in short supply, uh, are those same nurses having to try to do this again. We're seeing a lot of stress on the healthcare system right now because of the Delta variant and because of the level of transmission we're seeing in the state.
4: Health officials say the best way to prevent COVID-19 infection is to get vaccinated against the disease. At last count, about 35% of Mississippians are fully vaccinated. Coming up, the Neshoba County Fair is underway after a year off. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9am on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website money.mpbonline.org or on your smart devices podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio, I'm Karen Brown. The lifting of COVID restrictions in the American South marks a return to small-town politicking. The Neshoba County Fair is Mississippi's chosen venue for such pageantry. The fair kicked off yesterday with speeches from a series of state officials, headlined by Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. We checked in with reporter Ashley Norwood, who was in the thick of things in Philadelphia. This being the first fair since COVID.
3: I wasn't really sure what to expect, but the closer I got to the fair, I saw the cars lining up outside. I saw people parking everywhere. People were anticipating this moment. They were they were excited and ready to get back into the atmosphere under the pavilion. Probably started off with about 50 people and, and easily grew into maybe 100, 150, 200. People were just kind of crowded around. Every row, there were people. It didn't feel just like previous years but i could tell that people were happy to be there any mask wearing oh wow karen honestly i could probably count on one hand how many masks i saw and maybe people felt more confident and comfortable because it was an outside event but you know there
4: were a few masks there, there was little social distancing underneath that pavilion in particular lieutenant governor Gilbert hoseman was the main attraction today among the speakers Any Mm -hmm. updates from him on the medical marijuana situation? He definitely addressed the medical marijuana issue, uh, you know, starting off by saying that this is
3: something that you all voted for, because we know voters in Mississippi overwhelmingly approved the initiative 65.
6: You passed that the last time initiative 65 was thrown out by the Supreme Court. Uh, That wasn't our doing. And so we immediately started drafting on legislation. When it struck when the Supreme Court struck it down, we started having hearings. You may have seen them. We've had three separate hearings led by Senator Hob Bryan. He's done a great job. Senator Blackwell's writing the legislation. We intend to pass a medical marijuana bill and we intend to return the initiative process to the people.
3: So what he's saying is that they're really close to having a comprehensive measure maybe even by late next week. Now, it's still it's no word from the governor you know, of a special session on this issue. But what Holzman is saying and what he told reporters after his speech is that we're going to be ready. Whether he calls a special session or not, we're going to be ready. And one thing in that bill, because he didn't get too specific about details because it's it's, a hundred pages, right? But a couple of things that he did say that may be different from initiative 65 in their bill, it extends usage for medical marijuana, or it, it has a tax component because, you know, you think about Mississippi, there's so many things that could be paid for. And also he talked about having options to opt in or opt out for cities and counties as well so those are three things he said about their measure that's different from initiative 65 but there are plenty of things still on the table but what he's saying is maybe by next week late next week the senate will have their version of a
4: deal ready to roll ashley i understand that the lieutenant governor spoke with reporters after his speech did he make any notable comments then I will say
3: during his speech on stage, he kind of talked about COVID, but it wasn't until after his speech, in that press gaggle, he really started to get personal about it. We know, this is no secret, the lieutenant governor, he was sick with COVID-19, and he tells us that it was to the point where he couldn't walk 100 steps a day.
6: All of us are just sick of COVID, and we want it to be over, but we need to realize it's not. And we need to protect ourselves, How, whatever the appropriate health care is. I had the vaccine, you know, and, I, and, you know, it was sore for a day or something like that. But I also had COVID. You know, when you have COVID and you're not vaccinated, people die, they, they suffocate. I mean, people suffocate and they can't talk to their children or their spouse while they're, while they're dying. And they're in these dark rooms if you've never been in these COVID places. It's horrible.
3: He's talking about, you know, all the, the millions of dollars that the state got and they put into ICUs across the state to increase capacity. But then you look now with this surge, there are many hospitals that are at capacity. And so he understands the seriousness of this surge, this fourth wave with this delta variant, talks about his his choice to get vaccinated after having conversations with Dr. Dobbs and so many other health experts. And what he's telling Mississippians is. To do your research there's a lot of misinformation out there there's a lot of conspiracy about it but his point is do the research if you haven't gotten vaccinated rethink
4: it ashley norwood is a reporter of course my colleague at mpb thanks so much (laughs) ashley thank you karen the neshoba county fair continues today scheduled speakers include governor tate reeves and house speaker philip gunn coming up electricity providers The Deep South aim for resilience as natural disasters loom. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And
4: thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The 2021 Atlantic hurricane season is off to a busy start and forecasters say it's likely to be as active as last year when thousands were without power for weeks after hurricanes Laura, Zeta, Cristobal and Delta. The fact is climate change is bringing more extreme weather, heavier rains and rising seas and with it threats to the power grid. So how prepared is the Gulf South for the threats to come? Tegan Wendland reports.
2: Last fall, tens of thousands were without power all across the South after Hurricane Zeta, but not Danny and Leslie Fox.
5: I came over here and turned the generator on and we had nice cold air and we had a refrigerator and we had a freezer and you know everything else that you're supposed to have.
2: They live on a farm just north of Mobile where they raise a menagerie of rabbits, quail, pigs, goats, chickens, you name it. They have huge gardens and have set up water reservoirs. Basically, they have everything they need to survive off-grid in case of an emergency. The Department of Energy says hurricanes are the number one threat to electric grids. And blackouts are increasing. Danny Fox's advice? Get a generator.
5: Always have a backup. and No matter what it is, if it's power, food, water, always have a backup.
2: Easier said than done. Not everyone can afford to be a prepper. Most of us live in cities and just rely on the power companies to do their job.
1: We can't just leave everyone to their own devices to hope that individuals are able to protect themselves from power
2: outages. Simon Mahan is the director of the Southern Renewable Energy Association.
1: Your house might still have electricity and you might still be able to turn your lights on and have your refrigerator running. But if the grocery store down the street doesn't have power, you won't be buying
2: groceries. Power outages aren't only an inconvenience, but a health threat. Extreme heat causes illness and death. Scientists warn that storms are getting more intense, causing more frequent and longer-lasting power outages. Much of the electric grid was built above ground, and many of the power stations are on the coast. Julie McNamara is an energy analyst with the Union of Concerned Scientists, an advocacy organization. It found that 70% of power stations in the South are vulnerable to flooding.
0: We just have old equipment. When you couple that underinvestment with a changing climate, with increased exposure to severe weather impacts, you see a grid that's pushed to the precipice and has increasingly started to fail.
2: The latest report from the American Society of Civil Engineers gives the energy system a D. Repairing the grid is expensive, Hardening equipment, raising power stations, and preparing for sea level rise all cost money. Some companies are getting ready for the threats to come. For example, after Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast in 2012, leaving more than 8 million without power, the energy company for New York, Con Edison, created a comprehensive resilience plan.
0: Those who are showing themselves to be best equipped for the future are those who are recognizing that change is here, now, And hard work has to be done to be prepared
2: for what's coming. So what are companies doing in the South? That's not a simple question because each state has different power companies overseen by different regulators. I reached out to each state's public service commission.
1: I wouldn't say we're talking about climate change per se.
2: Brent Bailey is a commissioner with the Mississippi Public Service Commission. He says winter storms and extreme weather are definitely getting worse in the South. The commission is investigating why the system broke down during the February storms that left more than 50,000 people without power for weeks.
1: That really put a light on the lack of maintenance, uh, lack of continued investment, of upgrades, of other operations and maintenance steps that should have been occurring over the years and this exposed the weaknesses in those systems."
2: His commission will make recommendations, but they're not requiring energy companies to make climate plans. Neither Entergy or Southern Company, the main energy companies for all three states, agreed to an interview. Both said they're planning for more extreme weather, but there's not a lot of evidence that they're preparing their grids or investing heavily in wind and solar. And last year's storms cost Entergy $2 billion. Energy analyst McNamara says that's a bill ratepayers will eventually have to pay.
0: If you don't have a plan to build back better, you're just going to build back to how you were, which means that you're pouring money into a bottomless pit.
2: A bill that would provide more funding to strengthen America's energy grid is currently working its way through Congress. The Biden administration's contentious infrastructure bill would also devote billions to electric transmission and grid resilience. Regulators in the Gulf South say they're encouraging energy companies to prepare, but climate plans aren't mandated. And without a plan, as storms increase in the Gulf South, so will life without power. In New Orleans, I'm Tegan Wensland. This
4: story was produced by the Gulf States Newsroom, a partnership between WBHM in Birmingham, WWNO in New Orleans, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Coming up, a conversation with writer Steve Robertson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
4: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Steve Robertson is a man of contradictions. His appearance, replete with a beard, dreadlocks, and multicolored tattoos, is strikingly countercultural. Yet, he's also a college, uh, college sports writer and Mississippi State fanatic, both of which require deep appreciation for lore and tradition. His latest work, Blooms of Oleander, is a delicate collection of romantic poetry. But he's best known for his first book, a punishing piece of nonfiction entitled Flim Flam, the truth behind the blind faith culture that led to the explosive NCAA investigation of Ole Miss football. It's there that our conversation starts.
1: The book at its core was you know kind of coverage of the Ole Miss NCAA investigation and the in-state's media, uh, their reluctance to cover the story, which I found very fascinating. There were a lot of people that were kind of feeding me tips and suggested that the NCAA had boots on the ground in the state of Mississippi and you know we're looking into some things, uh, you know, about Ole Miss's football recruiting practices. And the story grew and grew and grew. And then eventually a literary agent contacted me and said, hey, you appear to be kind of the expert on all this. Would you be willing to write a book? And I'd never written one before. And to be honest with you, I was a little intimidated by the process in the beginning. But I said, okay, let's give it a shot. I find these phone records and go through them and ultimately found the items that would lead to the end of the Hugh Freeze era at Ole Miss.
4: Because you're so strongly associated with MSU football, was there any resentment that you were the one that wrote this book?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a matter of fact, I used to get, had a couple of death threats and the FBI actually investigated some things and uh, it got a little scary for a little while, I guess, from some members of my family. I never really expected any anything more than some social media backlash, but uh, that was all part of it. I mean, and you kind of know that going in. You know, Hugh Freeze is a very popular coach at Ole Miss, and he had uh, done some really big things up there. And so you start poking around at that sort of stuff, th- there's going to be some flashback on you when you when you have that kind of thing happen. And so you kind of know that going in, so you kind of prepare yourself for it. But, yeah, there was, there was a lot of that.
4: You followed up with Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. Again, it involves Ole Miss, but it involves – MSU at this point
1: the inspiration behind both of those books is that every book written about the Mississippi State Ole Miss rivalry was written from an old Miss guy and from an old Miss perspective and so it's been an absolute blast I've got two I'll come back here in a few years and maybe write a third one but you know I think that's kind of a unique book in and of itself because you know there's not books like that on the market about the state Ole Miss rivalry from a Mississippi State perspective and and um It's been one of the greatest joys of my life to write those books.
4: So now that we know a little bit about you, tell us about this new book. It makes me smile because it's called Blooms of Oleander, a collection of romantic and inspirational poetry. That might be surprising to people that this is the fourth book after you've described the first three.
1: Well, I like to keep people guessing, to be honest (laughs) with you. But uh, poetry was something that helped me heal. And, you know, when I would have things in life that were difficult to process, I would use poetry sometimes just to kind of heal. A lot of times I would take my most innermost thoughts and I could write it cryptically. And it was very cathartic to kind of get those things out and get them on paper, even if I never intended for anybody to read them. And I had a friend of mine and we were just talking music one day and, and I, I shared some of the things I'd written and they were they were impressed and they said, hey, you should do something with this. And that really became the inspiration. Some of them are real and some of them are just things I was inspired to write and been in recovery now almost 30 years. And so I do a thing on Facebook kind of as needed called the randoms, just my random thoughts about recovery. And I try to help other people and kind of share my stories. There's a section of that. And then there's a short story about me and my father and my son about how, you know, when I was a young man, my dad was never really around when it came to me time for me to play sports. And so it really inspired me to, to be very involved with my son. And then as my son began to, you know, achieve some notoriety as an athlete, it kind of pulled my dad along with us, and we ultimately became best friends. And so it's, it's called The Cycle of the Sun, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's autobiographical, and it's, it's a real story that happened to me and my family, and I just wanted to share it because uh, ultimately my dad and I became best friends before he passed away.
4: In the way that you've described this book and this poetry, it, it sounds like there's a lot of pain. Does romance always have an unhappy ending in your poetry?
1: No, it doesn't, and uh, it's interesting you say that. You know, a, a lot of people don't know much about oleander in and of itself. You know, oleander has these real beautiful blooms, but you know they're they're poisonous. And I thought that was a great metaphor for bad relationships, of which I feel like I'm somewhat of an expert. So when I wrote this book, I thought that would be a perfect title. I just shared those things just because I wanted other people out there to feel like they're not alone. You know, that, that's probably you know when I was in the depths of my addiction that's probably the most difficult part of it is you feel just so far removed from the people that love you. And so I'm a firm believer in the old adage that we're only as sick as our secrets. And so when you keep things bottled up and you keep them within yourself and don't share them with other people, they have power over you. I've learned in nearly 30 years of recovery, the number one thing that trips people up are the things they won't let go of. It's like, well, yeah, I'll do this, but I'll put all these conditions on my recovery, my sobriety, well, if this ever happens, I'll definitely drink. Well, every condition that I ever placed on my recovery, every single thing that I said, if this ever happened, I'd be in trouble. It would all happen to me. Every bit of it did, but I was able to stay sober. And so I, I share that, too, in part of the randoms. But I think it's one of those things that, you know, there are a lot of people that need to understand that the odds are very much against us in recovery. And, and so I'm trying to help us get a few more wins out there and kind of let people know, you know, through transparency that, yes, we can and do recover, but we don't have to sit around and be ashamed of the mistakes that we've made. We can make amends from that and, and not just have a great life, but, you know, have a life that I think uh, is very authentic and also, too, you know, a, a life that brings real blessings to other people.
4: Plumes of Oleander, a collection of romantic and inspirational poetry by Steve Robertson. Steve, thank you so much for sharing this book with us. Thanks for your time.